Future Self Podcast, episode 24. I said to myself, I'm not doing this anymore. If it means I have to live in a box on the street to be happy, I'm, I'm willing to do that. Because being happy and content in life is worth more than anything. This is the Future Self Podcast. He's your host, Robert Ingalls. All right, welcome back to episode 24 of the Future Self Podcast, your resource for knowledge, insight, and inspiration. Now, before we dive into my podcast, I want to talk about your podcast. You know that podcast that you keep saying that you should start? Now, you know you have a good story, and you know people will listen. So my question for you is, what are you waiting for? Podcasting has taken the creative control away from the entertainment executives and placed it back in the hands of the people. Today, all it takes to have a successful podcast is a unique story that resonates with your listeners. Today, the people get to decide for themselves what is worthy. To get you started on your podcasting journey, I've partnered with Advent Coworking to present a live four-week podcasting course that will take you from idea to launching your show on iTunes in four short weeks. To sign up, go to yourpod.pro and you'll be the first to know when the cart opens up. That is yourpod.pro. All right, let's jump into today's show. Today, I have my friend David Herring in the studio. David and I haven't known each other that long, but after talking with him just a few times, I knew that I had to have him in the studio. I had a lot of fun talking with David. We took on some serious issues, and we cranked out one hell of an episode. So let's go ahead and jump into it. I used to do these like introductions, and, and it was very formal. I don't really fuck around yeah, that much. Yeah, you don't need to do that. Yeah, it just it felt forced. <laughs> Well, it feels forced. Well, it feels... I, so I've listened to the one you did with Harrison. Yeah. And, and, and you kind of did an introduction I like did. that. It was a little bit lighter than they used to be. They used to be way too long. They were just like really aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they're they're the kind of introduction that you do for somebody like in front of a live audience. Right. You know? Like a keynote speaker yeah, or something. Yeah, these are more conversational. And, and honestly, I don't want to drop all the fucking cool things about you before we even do that. Yeah, episode. Like, that's, I you... that's probably... You don't want to let the cat out of the bag too yeah, soon. Yeah, let you tell your own story. <laughs> I mean, I'll probably do a a, a t- more toned down version, right? Like, I don't want to let all those secrets out, right? Uh, until you know, until the world is ready, right? They have to be, <laughs> man. You got to groom. Them. I mean, I have some controversial shit, <laughs> as you as you probably remember. I do, and uh, I, th- I mean, to be fair, those are the best stories. Those though. are the best stories. Um, so at some point, I think all of that needs to get fleshed out. You know, you could do a whole podcast on just your story. Yeah. And, of course, you're going to repeat things and repeat themes, but, you know, that's why people love Oprah. I mean, Oprah doesn't say something new every time she does something. Same with Gary Vee. It's like a retelling of the same theme with maybe, you know, different... Different words, different... Right. You know, well, and you're, you're kind of peppering in your own stories into the context of what you're talking about. Yeah. You're letting people know you. And that's one of the most important ways to, <clears throat> to resonate with your audience is to, to tell those stories about yourself. Because if you're just giving them information, some people are going to be fine with that. But, mm-hmm. you know, you think back to, think back to college. Right. 
you go into a classroom, you sit down, and your professor walks in, and he's just like, open your books to page 132, mm-hmm. and we're going to go over amoebas, you know? And by the end, you know, what have you accomplished? You, you've accomplished ordering something online right. um, for the party you're going to have You've learned week. a fact. Yeah, but for the most part, like I didn't learn anything because he was so boring. I stopped paying attention and started right. doing something else. Exactly, and especially in today's world, where you know, when I was in college, we didn't have the distractions, the digital distractions that we did in law school. Right in law school, you could see a whole sea of G- Gmail chats, G chats. Right. Yeah, I mean that was the thing back there, when I was in. There law was school. this golf game that was popular when I was in law school and you could look across if you sat in the back you could look across the room and see and they were all playing with each other like watch them playing this golf game and then you'd see them reacting to it like little body twitches right and stuff like that um if the, if the professor had a camera in the back it'd been it would have been really that funny. funny but then you had the other kind of professor that would come in and he had good energy and and you know you know had one she would tell stories she was a she'd been a prosecutor before and now mm-hmm. she was in criminal defense, but she was also a professor. And she would always tell us these stories about her time working as a prosecutor and then, you know, with the police and some really fun, compelling stories. And she would tie them in to the subject matter. Like mm-hmm. when she would talk about a certain thing in criminal law, she would bring in a story. And I still remember some of those points because of the story. Exactly. And I wanted to pay attention because she was telling me a story and it makes my brain immediately crave some kind of conclusion. Right. You know, there's the story. And that's why podcasting can be so successful, too, because when you use that storytelling element, it, people's, it turns people's brains on. Mm-hmm. They want to hear it. They want to listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's what I tell people when they, you know, when they sit down with me and they talk about wanting to do a podcast. Like, it's not just your information. It's also your story. Right. It's, it's letting people know because that's one of the reasons that you like Gary Vee so much because you yeah. know a little bit about him. You feel like you know him. And he's and the he's kind so of inspiring. person. He's inspiring. But he's also, if he was the kind of person that you thought was a shitty person, you probably wouldn't listen. Right. Even if he was giving you the same information mm-hmm. because you wouldn't have that connection with him. Right. He, you know, if he's not the kind of guy that you might want to have a beer with, you probably don't want to sit and have him in your ear mm-hmm. for, you know, 10, 15 minutes every single day on, like on the daily V. Cause you're like, eh, I mean, that's good stuff, but that guy's annoying. Yeah. Um, and or so, he's not authentic. Right. You can always pick up on. Oh, absolutely. Um, fake people right and that's hard for a lot of people in the beginning when they start doing you know videos or podcasts is they feel like they have to have this like certain persona for the camera Mm -hmm. and then you'll watch them a hundred episodes in and you'll hear it because you can hear it in my podcast if you go back to the beginning you can hear a very distinct difference in the person that i am on that on those episodes because it's very kind of stilted maybe the right word Mm -hmm. uh it feels scripted because i'm not comfortable I, I'm not letting my authenticity go and, and just being happy with who I am and just letting it resonate with whatever listener it resonates with. Mm-hmm. Cause that's the problem people get into is they feel like they need to appeal to everyone instead of realizing that there are literally millions of people out there that your authentic voice will resonate with if you let it come through. Yes. You know, cause and like, I think, are we recording? We're always recording. Okay, all right. <laughs> this is I, just, how I, do... I just screwed up the whole podcast no, you're by good. saying. Oh, and I'm not going to cut that either. Oh, that good, good. No, this is how we podcast. We just start talking. And <laughs> that's authenticity. It, that's authenticity. We see where I, it goes. And I think this was a, this is what I was going to say. I think um, when you're being your true self, you're going to piss a lot of people off. Yeah. Because you, you're kind of creating a divide. You, you're going to create you're going to create inspiration in some people, 
and you're going to tick a lot of people off. Yeah. And I know that some of the aspects of my story that we talked about at Wooden Robot, you know, that can inspire a ton of people, but it would also really piss a bunch of people off. Right. Because you're, you're fucking with their worldview. Yeah. And, you know, worldviews are like my precious, the ring, you know, the Lord of the Rings. And, right. You know, you have that to can destroy it. someone. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really like that angle as well because there's there's a blog post, and I'm sure I've talked about it on the podcast before. It's called 1,000 True Fans. And the idea is that you need to be authentic and speak your message and because all that you really need to worry about is your listeners, the people that it is going to resonate with, your 1,000 True Fans. Right. And, you know, if you – for a lot of people like online marketers, people who are selling, you know, courses and, and books and things like that – you don't need to sell to the world. I mean, obviously, it's great if you can. And, you know, the more people's lives that you can touch, the better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more financially stable it makes you become and the more good you can do in the world thereafter. But if you have those thousand true fans, those rabid fans who, when you put out an episode, they listen every single time because they know that you're going to bring them value, that by the end that your message is going to inspire them to do something great, they're going to learn something. That is all you need. Because when you start creating and selling products um, or asking them, you know, to like come to conferences that you're doing or if you write a book, any of those things, whatever your angle is, whatever you're into, those people are going to jump over themselves to help you because Mm -hmm. they are so connected to you and your message and your authenticity. It speaks to them. They know you that when, you know, if they ever need something that you are offering, they're going to buy it and be those people are going to tell other people about you. Like they are going to be a brand evangelist for you. And you really have trouble doing that without being authentic. If you're out there just kind of speaking to everyone and just hoping that, you know, the right person hears it and they like it, it's going to be a lot harder to create that, that type of, of, of rabid fan base because you sound a lot like everyone else. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really hard to niche down that way. Yeah, that's totally true. I mean, I definitely see that even in the context of what I do in my law practice. When a when a client comes in or a prospective client comes in, one of the first things I tell them is what I'm not good at, what I don't like to do, and the skill set that I feel like I'm pretty good at. And I want them to know off the bat that if if my skill set doesn't work with their goals, I'm happy to help them find another attorney. Like right. I don't need them to hire me. Um and that that resonates with people and makes them more interested in hiring me. Right. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to fool around with them and sure. kind of manipulate them. Right. But one of the byproducts of being um open and honest with someone is they kind of like that. Yeah. Cuz it's so rare especially with attorneys. <laughs> I agree. I mean, it could obviously be used as an emotional, you know, psychological trip to use on someone, but at the same time, people are generally going to smell that eventually too. Yeah. But, but it, it is helpful because it lets them know that you have an understanding of what your strengths are, what it is you like to do in the best way that you can help them. And then they're given the opportunity to make a decision to, to listen and say, well, that is not actually what I want. And they'll leave. And I've been through that where I will tell people, this is my assessment. This is what I feel like we should be doing. And I'm not generally, I'm probably not going to feel comfortable doing something different than that. Yeah. And and that's not what they want because some people walk in they want the bulldog. Exactly. They want you to do whatever it is that they are asking you to do without any question. And that's just not how I operate. 
And, and it's good to get that staked out from day one because if you don't have that conversation with them and then it comes up in six months, you're in a tough position. Mm-hmm. I make it very clear to people I'm not a bulldog. I'm not a heavy hitter litigator. I know that's not what I like to do, and I'm not ashamed of that. And I tell people, if someone calls me on the phone and says I'm looking for an attorney, I, I give them that spiel. And I say, look, if you want a heavy hitter litigator, I know a ton of great ones. It's going to cost you a ton of money, and it's going to be a different kind of path for you. But you know, if you want to do things a different way, come sit down with me. We'll figure out a way to do it in a way that's amicable, and uh, it's going to be a lot cheaper. <laughs> Did you discover that about yourself, that you wanted to be in more of a, uh, a non-litigious position, or was that something... Did you have to find that out? By I definitely had to find it out. Yeah, like so. Did you when you started out? Were you doing some litigation? Yes, I uh, I learned that I did not like litigation just by having to do it. Um, it's unpredictable, it, and I I like things to be predictable, and I like to be in control. And you're not in control in in a courtroom. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. You there know. really are. There's opposing counsel doing whatever the hell opposing counsel does, and yeah. then there's there's the judge that you're rolling the dice on. You know, you've been practicing for a while. You've put this case together. You've read the law, and you're like, clearly, this is what's going to happen because mm-hmm. this is what the law demands. And right. then you get in there, and, and the judge reads it a different way. Yeah. And your entire argument's blown away, <laughs> and you're you feel like you're out in the middle of the ocean without a life raft. Exactly. The law is almost meaningless sometimes. <laughs> And uh, I tell some, I tell people sometimes, you know, you're, the outcome in a courtroom could be as simple as the judge having had a bad morning or had, you know, a stomach ache after lunch and was just in a bad mood. <laughs> Nobody wants to subject their, right. their kids, a decision on custody to something like that. Right. Um. Yeah, it's been my experience that juries can be even worse because at least the judge tends to understand the law. A little less emotion involved. Yeah. You get 12 people in the box, man, and it's the God, Wild West. I can't imagine. That's one thing I've never done. <laughs> yeah. That, do you have any... Uh, do you want to do it at all? Like, no. Not at all? I have no desire to do that. <laughs> and you know what? That's kind of... That was sort of the um, breaking point for me. I guess, you know, I was working at a firm in Charlotte, and... That was the path, the litigation route. That was the the theme of of what my job would entail. Right, and I was constantly anxious, stressed out, unhappy, and I just kind of had this awakening, if you want to call it that, where I said to myself, "I'm not doing this anymore." If it means I have, I think I even said this to you. If it means I have to live in a box on the street to be happy, that's the I'm I'm willing to do that because being happy and content in life is worth more than anything, and that was the sort of um, realization I had, and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm I'm quitting my job. I don't have any plan. I didn't have a plan to start my own law firm." I had the the only the only thing that I thought maybe I could do to kind of bridge the financial 
gap was do some law re- or do some uh, document review. Right. I was like, I'll do that. And for anybody that doesn't know what that is, it's kind of like sweatshop work for lawyers. They cram a yeah. bunch of you in a room and you sit and look over documents for really large scale litigation. And it's, it's pretty soul sucking work. It is definitely soul sucking. <laughs> but I, you know, at that point I, I realized I'm willing to, I'm willing to risk everything to be happy. And I, and I've had to do that a couple times in life. And I think that's the key to, I mean, if there's a key to life, whatever that means, <laughs> I, I really think it's, uh, the willingness to, to take a risk. Was there a moment that, you know, it happened or were you just kind of build to it or one day were you like, I'm done? Uh, it definitely built up to it. I think, you know, I sort of saw it as a balance, um, a scale where my misery was on one side and that misery started tilt tipping the scale mm. and the status quo, it outweighed the status quo. And I just said, you know what? I don't care what happens. I'm quitting. And it wasn't because the people at work were bad people. Right. It just wasn't for me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that resonates with me. I've done the same thing. Yeah. So um, you quit without any plan. You just one no day plan you're like, at I'm all. Out. No plan at all. So what, what, the next morning, I'm, obviously, you're probably pretty high that night. Like it's probably oh, pretty I, exciting. I, it was a huge, huge weight off my shoulders. All right. So the next morning, you wake up. What are you doing? What's your thought? Well, I, I, I still had a. I gave a month's notice, so I still had. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, All right. A month to All right. Work. Didn't walk but, off the But blank. at the, at the point of having made that decision and made you know actually, told folks that I was leaving. Right. Uh, it was a huge weight off my shoulders. I bet. Um, and then the day I quit, it's just. The actual last day, it was, you know, I, f- I felt so free. Although I had no plan. So by the I, last day, you still didn't have a plan? I still didn't have a plan, no. Right. So how's the plan come together? What happens next? Well, the, what happens next? <laughs> I went to Charleston for a few days just to go to the beach. Dan and I nice. um, just took a little mini break. And uh, still no plan, but... um. I knew that I had to do that for myself. And, you know, I admit, I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have kids. It would have been a lot harder to make those kinds of decisions if I had right. had children. Um, but nobody was dependent on me. So that, you know, I was very fortunate in that respect. Because, you know, if if the ship was going to sink, it was just going to be me in it. Right. Did you feel any pressure from family members or friends? Not at all. Good. Not at all. Um, mainly because I didn't really tell anyone. I told I told Dan. Uh, Dan is my boyfriend, by the way. Um, I told him, and he was very supportive. Good. Um, and I think when I, I ask you that, because I think that's one of the, the important things in life is to have someone that's supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I've talked to a lot of people, I've mentored a lot of people that they have these big audacious goals. And their family and friends are just not on board. They don't think it's a good idea, and they're not supportive. And sometimes people don't do anything that they want to do because they don't have that support. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things I tell people is, like, sometimes no one's going to support you. But if it's what you feel that you need to do and what's right for you, go anyway. Because totally. once you start doing it and making it and you're happy, the support will catch up. Absolutely. You know, it's generally not that they're not supportive. It's that they're fearful. Yeah. And and don't let other people's fear keep you from doing what you want to do, what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. 
I totally agree with that. And I think here, here's another, this is a, this is the biggest thing. And this is the more kind of metaphysical part of all of this. I, I really believe that the universe kind of conspires with you when you step out into the unknown, like I did. And I noticed that, and maybe this is bullshit and that's totally fine, but I, well, here at the Future Self Podcast, uh, <laughs> you know, years ago, I would have felt that that was very hippie language. Yeah. Uh, but and it is. I agree. It's totally hippie language. But at the end of the day, uh, uh, one of the things that I do, one of my primary motivators and, and, and rules that I have for my life is I do that which serves me. Mm-hmm. I do that, whatever it is that gets me closer to my goals. I mean, obviously inside of a box that like doesn't like hurt other people or exactly. something like that. But other than that, I do that which serves me. And as I started to embrace you know, that approach of, of the universe and the metaphysical, I start, it, it served me. Mm-hmm. I started to see things in my life, piecing themselves together. And I've always been a very, uh, you know, kind of hardcore sciencey, you know, see it, touch it, feel it, taste it, mm-hmm. touch it some more, uh, scientific method, kind of very approach. scientific yeah. method, you know, like people would tell me that they've had these experiences and, you know, tarot card readers and, you know, I scoff, I ha ha. Uh, haughty derision at these people mm-hmm. and 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 so it was very hard for me to accept that because that had become one of my core beliefs that scientific method this is right. how things are but as i have gotten older and allowed myself to feel certain you know feel these things it uh, i agree with you i feel at this moment in my life almost every day i feel that the universe is conspiring with me because i have found the path that i want to be on i find the path of my highest level of contribution to the universe. I feel like I'm on that path and I feel like the universe is now with me. Um, not that I don't have things that are working against me, but you know, it feels like it's working. I'm working with it and I do that, which serves me. Yeah. So I I buy it. I totally, I totally buy into it too. The notion that, and one of the, I'm, I'm big into people like Wayne Dyer I don't know if you know who so he is. I've heard his name so many times. Yeah, he died and, a couple years ago. And some of, like, I saw Sarah Blakely, the founder mm-hmm. of Spanx. Oh, okay. I saw her speak, and she said that Wayne Dyer was her first real delve into personal development world. She said when she was young, she would go on car rides with her father and her family, and they would listen to Wayne Dyer tapes. Mm-hmm. And and I so I wrote his name down, and I was like, I need to listen to this. I haven't done it yet, but since then, several other people have said his name, and I feel like I really yeah. need to check it out. Well, there's a ton of videos on YouTube that you can watch. And I the reason I even know who he is, uh, I would go home to visit my parents, and the only thing to do in a Husky, North Carolina, is to watch television. There's, <laughs> <laughs> there's really nothing else to do. It's a small uh, place. It's I've a been. small. It's a small place, right? Because you, you, you know, you went to ECA, which is not not too far from ECA. Right. Um, Once upon a time, I dated a girl from the small town. I think you told me that. <laughs> yes. Uh, but when I would be at home, I would watch. Sometimes I would watch PBS, and Wayne Dyer was a big guest on PBS during their uh, fundraising. You know, there's like every few months, PBS has a fundraising. Sure few days yeah I remember and seeing he he was one of their big uh speakers during that time and that's how I learned about Wayne Dyer and one of the things one of the themes that he would uh, repeat is this notion of you know you have to get into the the rhythm of the universe and it sounds really far out it sounds 
kind of esoteric. I, I think we're even past questioning it now. Yeah. Let's let's just embrace it and move on. Yeah, we, 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 we just <laughs> embrace it. And so my point in, in saying that is when I left my job and kind of had this uh, moment of, you know, screw it all. I don't care. I'm just, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to do this for myself. I noticed that the universe started unfolding things for me to do my own practice. And, um, you know, people would come into my life. And of course it was, I wasn't just sitting on the couch and people calling me up on the phone. Right. But I just noticed, you know, as I went about my day and, uh, explored options for myself, people would come into my path. People would have conversations with me. Other professionals would uh, talk to me about what it's like to have your own firm. And so slowly it sort of unfolded, hey, I'm going to give this a shot. Yeah, I like that. And uh, well, so here we are. And I like the idea of kind of rising to meet it. And and one of the things, you know, I I, I don't know where I heard this, and I always, I always tell people when I'm talking to them, assume that anything I say that has wisdom in it came from someone else, and I just don't remember who I'm supposed to credit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, you know, when you're, if you want the universe to conspire with you, uh, you know, think about it like uh, you know you have to be on your path. Yeah. You, in order to intersect with something else, you have to be on your own path. And so, in order to intersect with the universe and, and what it is holding for you, you have to be on your way somewhere. It's not going to come to you on the couch. Uh, go out, start doing something, start doing anything, and that intersection will happen. Uh, totally. You know, I've talked to very few people in my life who are doing something, who are really actually out there trying to move in a direction of, of their truth, who don't feel the same way you feel, that things are unfolding. Right. Um, you know, it's not easy. It's scary. But it, it's they're almost like little signals. Like if you're, you know, out on, you know, in, in at night on a boat, it, they're like little markers. You know, you can't see them super well, but you're like, oh, there's a light in the distance. Right, I, I'm I know, heading there. I know I'm on the right track. Right. And uh, so those markers are nice, but you have to actually be on your path if you're going to go find them. Yeah. And, and the, the cool thing and the fun thing about it is it's not predictable. You don't know where you're going necessarily. You're just sort of pushing forward. And like, I, I would never have thought I'm going to have my own law practice. I never would have thought that. But that's what happened. That's what unfolded. And that's what was really fun. I don't know that that's what I'm going to be doing in five more years. Right. Um, it may be completely different, and I hope it is because it's fun to have things changed up a little bit. Oh, Nobody absolutely. wants to get stuck in a rut. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm. I mean, I, you know, I told my my wife relatively early on because I thought it was important that she knew this about me. Like, I'm never comfortable. I am yeah. always doing something different, learning something new. Um, I'm. I'm. We're gonna get into some shenanigans if you hang with me, mm-hmm. because I just I like finding out new stuff and trying new things. So I like that. Yeah. I want to go back to Charleston. Okay. So, because I'm very interested in hearing the process. You didn't know. You didn't have a plan. No plan. And take me through it. What happened? How do we, how do we get to uh, open our own law firm? That's a big step. Well, I think, you know, I had a few weeks after I left my job where I just had to reflect and think, you know, what am I going to do? Luckily, I had some side work that was completely unrelated to the law. I do I do some architectural drawings, and that sort of bridged the financial gap to give me some flexibility to kind of think through things, take take some time off to um, explore my options. And you know, I had worked with some friends after law school who had done this. They had started their own law firm, and I had met a couple people in Charlotte who had done the same thing. And I, you know, just gave him a phone call. It's like, 
I'm just going to sit down with you and sure. figure out what do I do. Um, so I met a friend who I had, she at the time wasn't a friend. She was someone I had probably just met a couple times. And I said, you know, I'm going to give her a call. And that's sort of part of the thing. You, you just, that's part of the path. You know, you got to just do it. And if you get, if it ends up not working out, it doesn't work out. But right. I gave her a call. I was like, can we go to coffee? Can we go have coffee yeah. so I can just explore this? Yeah. And I tell, I tell, you know, people I work with that, you know, courting mentors is like, courting a significant other mm-hmm. you have to be willing to put yourself out there because you're yes. going to get some rejection but you got to make those phone calls and, and i will say this in looking back in applying for jobs i probably applied to 100 200 jobs During after law school uh, no 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 school. after law school and i got rejected every time right every single time except one where i actually got the job and so i was used to getting rejected and at that point, I didn't give a shit about getting rejected anymore. Right. So I'm like, if I call people up and have coffee with them and they think I'm weird or they don't want, you know, they don't want to hang out with me or don't want to ex- help me figure out what the next step is, who cares? There's a million other people I can call. Right. And eventually something's going to happen. And I'm so relieved now that I'm doing something that's fun and that's, you know, I'm free from this nine to five gig that I felt straight jacketed in. Um, but so I had, I had coffee with this person and she gave me a ton of great ideas and, um, you know, long story short, I found some office space that again, sort of fell in my lap. I didn't really, I didn't have to work really hard to figure out how that was going to happen. Um, so I, suffice it to say, I just had a lot of people kind of come into my life a lot of times just without my effort and it really helped me to start this next phase in life. Nice. Yeah. So let's, uh, I always like to circle back around. I want to, yeah. I want to find out the early story because we know where you are now. Right. Did you always want to be a lawyer? I did not always want to be a lawyer. Um, in fact, I would, I would go as far as to say going to law school was a way for me to get out of the certain pattern I was in in life at the time. And to give you a little bit of backstory on this, I spent my 20s really in the throes of religion. I went to seminary, um, actually got a Master's of Divinity from an evangelical seminary, and I spent my 20s pretty much an evangelical, conservative. um, You know, I really thought you had to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Um, That was just, you had to do that. Right. And I found that, in retrospect, I found that really enslaving. So, was there, when you think back about that period in time, like you think, in retrospect, it's enslaving, what do you think it was about it that kept you there for so long, and even prompted you to consider going, not even consider, like getting into a path of ministry yourself? Mm-hmm. I think it was safe. Uh, it provided a lot of answers to questions about life, even if they weren't necessarily correct answers, it gave a, it was a very safe place to, um, retreat and avoid some of the kind of bigger fears of my life. I think religion just provided a a comfort. And at the time it was a really useful thing. I think it did a lot of good for me, but I think with, you know, 
if someone were to ask me, I would say that religion is really a stepping stone rather than an end goal. And that's what I kind of discovered in my, in my late twenties, um, that it wasn't going to work for me forever. It had served its purpose and I needed something to kind of get me out of that comfort zone. Uh, and law school was, was the logical answer for me. Not, I had no grand goals of, you know, being Matlock or being a great lawyer or even really necessarily wanting to, to do law. It just wasn't, it's something that kind of came along as, oh, this is a way for you to kind of rethink where you are. Um, you know, it could have been any, it could have been anything, um, but law school just sort of made sense to me. I don't know. Right. Just kind of the next thing that you saw on your path where you were. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so I know we've talked about this. You studied architecture, right? Mm-hmm. Was there a point after that where you, you know, where you thought that's what you were going to do? Uh, well, I technically I still do some architecture work. Yeah. I, I, I when I hear, you know, when you say you study architecture, I'm like, I feel like that's, you know, it's like one of the sexiest professions, at least when you say it out loud. Yeah, like it, it does. I mean, it, people think of, uh, I don't know, what do people think about when they think about architects? But I think it was sexy man, you know, standing at the table, and, yeah, you know, sketching out some grand plans. <laughs> yes, um, it's not like that in real life. I can assure you. Um, I spent, you know, I probably did two years in an architecture firm where I was behind a computer doing CAD drawings all the time. And that was just not working for me. I, I, I guess my the theme in life is I have uh, a series of discontent uh, periods in life. And, you know, I just don't want to get stuck. Yeah. So I my, my only solution was, okay, we'll try something else. Yeah. And, you know, there's probably some positives and negatives about doing that. Who knows, maybe in my next decade I won't be doing law. Yeah. I and mean, I'm completely open to that. Yeah, I mean... I, uh, you know, I just came to that, we've talked a lot about it and, uh, you know, I just came to that realization myself not long ago that Mm -hmm. that part of my life is over. I did it. I learned a lot. I'm glad for the experiences. They, they took me in a direction to give me all of the beautiful things that are in my life right now. Um, you know, without that, I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't, my daughter wouldn't be here. And so I'm very happy for those things. And it was absolutely the path that I needed at that moment. Um, but, uh, but it's gone and I'm ready to do a different thing, something Mm -hmm. that feels truer to me. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I mean, if you're skipping around because, you know, for a reason that's not authentic to you, right. if you're running from something, exactly, then I think there's probably a problem. And that's something you need, that everyone needs to examine for themselves. But if you're running from something, you're never going to get away from it without facing it. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a big difference in running toward something. Yes. When you have an idea of what you want and what your truth is and where your greatest impact on the world is going to be. And if you run towards that, I think you're fine mm-hmm. for me. I mean, take that for what it's worth. But for me, I think that there's, it's a beautiful thing to do. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, the ability to honestly self-reflect and be authentic and honest with yourself is it pays huge dividends and like you screw up along the way. I totally have screwed up along the way. I'll be the first to admit it. And I still do it. I still screw up. That's where um, we do a lot of our learning. Yeah. And the willingness to kind of admit it opens up a ton of doors. I mean, I've had a ton of people say to me, you know, I appreciate your honesty. You 
tell it like it is. And I do. I do tell it like it is. And if it pisses people off, I don't care. Yeah, get your thousand true fans. Yeah, I want my thousand true, true fans. And, um, you know, I, I think about the greats of history, and they always were polarizing to some extent. Um, sure. I mean, if you have a message that you, you know, feel strongly about, and you have conviction, there are going to be people that have conviction on the other side that are not going to feel about yes. that, feel that way. Right. And they're going to be people who want you to fit in the, in the mold. Right. And that's hard. Uh, especially if you, you know, for me personally, just as a young man, I, I was always terrified of standing out mm-hmm. of being the focus of, you know, cause then it, it, I felt it would lead to derision and I, I just wanted to blend in. Right. Uh, and it's safe. It, yeah, it was safe. And, and so I strived for that for a long time, dress like other people dress, uh, try to, you know, behave and, and, and not don't be the squeaky wheel. Right. And, uh, and so now when I, I kind of just am the squeaky wheel in general now, I, <laughs> I like make a noise. I'm loud. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And I do too, because it feels authentic to me. But, uh, but for years I was trying to put that in a box and there were people who didn't like it. And it definitely didn't go over well in school. Um, I had a lot of trouble through school with my personality, and and you know, but through those years, I, I, I hate to blame the baby boomers for everything, uh, but uh, you know that was a lot of the the people that raised me and and that were uh, you know my teachers, right? And and everything was very much like these are the rules. This is what you do. You know, you don't ask questions. Like they valued you getting the right answer over, you know, asking questions or trying and getting the wrong answer. Um, you know, exploration. Right. And not everyone. I had some amazing teachers that that, that, that weren't that of really course. resonated with me, but that was the system for the most part. And but getting out and into the world and, and realizing that I can be the squeaky wheel, that I can say whatever I want for you know, for the most part. Like mm-hmm. I can say my truth and that there are people out there that's gonna resonate with and it absolutely does. Uh, not resonate with some people and they do not like it. You know, every now and again, I'll get an angry email and I haven't even gotten that controversial yet. Uh, right. With, with, with my podcast, <laughs> like I'm launching a new podcast soon that is for my coaching business, uh, working with young men. And there's going to be people who don't like that. And I know that they are not going to agree with my message. They are going to be probably angry. Um, well, I just work with other guys who are in that same space mm-hmm. and they, they get that kind of reaction. And, but I think you have to build up to, you have to be ready for it. You have to be ready for those people who's, who, who are not going to resonate, your message is not going to resonate with. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have been ready for that five, 10 years ago. Um, it, I would have still felt like, um, I was in that box. Like I needed to be more of a people pleaser. And if I was turning people off, that I was doing something wrong. Right. And I completely agree with that. And I, and I think when I was in seminary, that was the phase of my life where I was the consummate people pleaser. I did everything to please the people who I thought I need needed to please. And part of that was, you know, being in the closet. And that was hugely paralyzing. And I, as I've gotten older and as I've sort of left the religion stuff behind, I am so convinced that being honest with yourself about things so central like sexuality for example i mean there are other things obviously right that's a huge part of identity yeah that you know i take pleasure i take and it may even be, be a sick pleasure in confronting people 
in, say, those evangelical circles who are anti-gay marriage or anti-gay um, in general. Um, it's I take pleasure in responding to that in a way that I think is a much healthier approach. And I, and I no longer, I would no longer take those sorts of positions that I beat myself with for years. And, um, which I think, you know, in those kinds of circles is, is, is really unhealthy and damaging to people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I guess the common theme of what, of what we're talking about here Uh, for me at least, is this idea of of when I'm honest with myself, when I'm authentic, when I am who I think I am and what do the things that make me happy and um, give me peace and joy. Those are the, the kinds of things that, you know, lead me to being a better person in every area of life, not just, you know, in my career, in my personal life, you know, all of those same themes of this, you know, the universe kind of helps you out. Absolutely. That, that works everywhere in every theme. And, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see how that happens even more. And I think that's part of the reason why I want to do this podcast, why I want to, um, be open to, you know, what, what the next decade holds, because you know what, I think it's fun to sort of have the universe unfold these sorts of things for you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it is, it does sound a little hippie, but oh, I don't care. It's, it's so exciting to me. <laughs> well, just the, the doors that deciding this, to launch this podcast have opened for me are just immense and immeasurable because everywhere I look, I mean, this podcast has opened so many areas. My just yesterday, I mean, this is yesterday. I got a text from a guy I haven't talked to since I think he graduated a year before me and I don't think I've talked to him since then. Mm-hmm. And from law school, from law school. And he had talked to someone else that uh, that was aware I had the podcast, and he was talking to them about something. And they said, "Well, actually, you know, Rob Ingalls from law school that started this podcast kind of talks about that stuff." And I got a text from him yesterday out of the blue, and and he said, "You know, I've been, you know, I listened to one of your episodes, and you talked about, you know, doing something, doing anything, and and not sitting around and waiting, just you know, taking your opportunity and running with it." And and he was like, "That really spoke to me." He was like, "You know." if you have any time, he's like, can we get together and talk? He's like, I want to start doing the thing. And I was like a million percent. Yes. I was like that. The, the joy that brings my heart yeah. that, that by speaking my truth and my experience, that it was able to, to impact someone else in a way that they were motivated to, or inspired. That's a better word. They were inspired to, to make a change because I know what it feels like to do something you hate and, and to, and to be able to inspire just one person. That's mm-hmm. one person. And and I have a lot of other stories like that, and and we're still it's still early in my journey. Like oh, it, definitely. And every single person that I reach and door that gets opened has has led me so much closer to this beautiful dream that I thought was always going to be a dream. Oh, it'd be so cool if I could you know have my own schedule and work and do what I want and just you know live by essentially talking. You know, yeah. Uh, my uh, my my guidance counselors definitely missed the mark. Because consistently in school, it was, you know, talks too much, talks too much, <laughs> spends too much time talking to people around him, not enough time working. And and somebody really should have been like, maybe someone should give that man a microphone. I, I, I'm totally. sure my message wasn't good enough quite yet then. It well, was, they didn't get that. Yes. They, uh, yes. I guess podcasting didn't exist. Didn't it, did not, it did not. It did not. But 
Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm surprised it took me so long to get there. But I think that goes back to, to fear as well. Even when I totally. knew that this was an option, you know, there's that inherent fear, that, that, that dickhead that lives in the back of your yes. head who is like, no one wants to hear what you have to say. You know? Fear is, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's the common theme that paralyzes everyone. Yeah, and, and it, it's hard. I mean, and I'm sure that a lot of other people had a different experience. But my experience, I wasn't really taught to embrace that fear and, and, and face it. Mm-hmm. It was more, you, I, I ran from it. I tried to run from it and ignore it and things like that. And instead of facing it head on and, and really being like, you know what? Fuck you. Um, I'm going to do what I want. You're never, you're probably never going to shut up. He hasn't yeah. shut up uh, anytime recently. I, I assume he never will. But now uh, he's just along for the ride. Yeah. And, and and I think going back to this universe thing, I honestly think the universe wants us to be fear free. And part of how it conspires to get us there is when we take these little, you know, fuck you attitudes, the healthy versions of yeah. those. And that's, that's part of our journey to, to getting rid of fear. And, and I'll say this about this particular podcast. I've, when I learned about you doing this, I was like, I think that would be a blast to do a podcast with Rob Ingalls. And I would even ask, you know, we would go months and I would never see you. You used to come to the uh, breakfast, yeah, and then you know I wouldn't see you. And I remember asking folks, you know, where's Rob? Where's Rob? And when I said it in my head, I want to do a podcast with Rob Ingalls. It was no kidding. The next week, I ran into you at the courthouse outside the out. Right, you remember that? Sure. And that's kind of what I was like. Us into this that's my sign. I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do this podcast, and and we talked about it briefly, and then yeah. you know we met for coffee, or met, I think we met at Wooden Robot. You yeah, know, maybe two days later. Yeah, the universe sent us on an intersection. I agree. I think it did. I totally think it no, did. I love that. I mean, I you know, again, as, as hippie as I feel like that stuff used to sound, uh, it it has shown up in my life in so many beautiful ways through so many amazing coincidences, and and so now, like I said, I do that which serves me. So now I pay attention. I, right. I see the markers and I don't ignore them. I don't assume that it's a coincidence. I move toward them, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, I won't bore everyone with the entire story, but that, you know, a very small coincidence of me making a snap judgment to stop and talk to someone just in a bar led to probably 45 days later being in a different bar. And a lot of things had to happen in between then that would have only happened with that coincidence of meeting that one person and stopping and talking. To exactly. Them. Led me to being in the bar at the right time that my wife was sitting there. Yes. And, and I don't write that off, you know, like I, it felt like I should stop and talk to this person. And then three more people removed from her, this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I've, you know, I wasn't ready to completely embrace that at the moment. I was still feeling my way through the hippiness. Yeah. Um, but it, it, when I kept living like that, it kept happening and, and it's beautiful. And now I do it. I just, if I see something and I think, and it feels right, we, we go for just it. Go for it. Yeah. The willingness to take even just a tiny risk and be willing to, you know, it may not work out. Right. And that's one of the things you hear as, as a kid and, and it, they say it over and over. So it gets to a point where it is absent of any meaning, but no risk, no reward. Right. Well, risk is, I think risk is kind of the antidote to fear. Yeah. Fear is paralyzing. Risk uh, creates like forward momentum. Absolutely. And uh, I uh, so last night I actually saw Tony Robbins. He was in Charlotte. 
Oh, and he came yes. and spoke. And I'd seen him once before. I love that guy. Yeah, I love him too. I I drink his I drink his flavor. I Kool-Aid. drink his Kool Aid too. Uh, but he's you know I remember growing up he was always on TV and I'm like this guy is just ripping people. Yes, off. Yes, I felt the same way. Yeah, this big guy with the big teeth yeah. is just ripping people off. But I saw him in Atlanta in June and it was such an experience. Uh, Gary V was there too. That's where I saw Sarah Blakely. But it was such an experience. He spoke for about four hours, and by the end. I had faced some really difficult truths like that I had been lying to myself about, like legitimate stuff that I needed to face and I'd been hmm. putting off and I stared it in the face and I, it was uncomfortable, like immensely uncomfortable to, to write. Cause he made me, you know, makes you write them down. And, and, and I looked at these things and then I wrote down the things that I needed to do to change them. And it was so, it was such a beautiful moment being there last night because it was a very similar talk that he right. gave last night, but it was months later. And, and I did this exercise again and, and I had my paper from the first time with me and I looked at them side by side and it, it was, it was beautiful to see the, the difference because in the first paper I had written down the things that I was struggling with. When in, was that one? In June. Okay. And I had written down this list of things that, that I, I needed to face and that I wasn't. And, and I wrote down the things I needed to do to face them. And, you know, last night, I was, I was reflecting upon that and, and I've done and am currently doing so many of the things that I said I needed to do that I've been, some of these things I've been putting off for years, mm-hmm. um, just kind of getting my life in the right place and facing some demons. And just the feeling I had in that moment was so much better and happier and, and, and full of power than the first time. Because yeah. I had these things I wasn't facing, and they take power from me. Exactly. You know, they're constantly there. They're nagging you. And and so, yeah, I, I drink his Kool-Aid because I do that which serves me. And I am in a better place, absolutely, for having seen him that one time. So it's not – I don't even think about whether what he's doing is even right or wrong, I guess. I don't even allow myself to go there because it served me. It mm-hmm. made me better. It got me to a place that – I was trying to go and was having trouble on my own. And that's the value I see in coaching is instead of reinventing the wheel, a coach, a good coach helps you leapfrog the competition. It helps you get to where you want to go in a much faster way because they have the roadmap. So yeah, I definitely drink the Tony Robbins Kool-Aid. Yeah, (laughs) I do too. And you know, you're talking about, you don't know if it's right or wrong. I honestly don't even know if that the right or wrong issue is even a relevant question. I, I guess I've really, um, it, all of this that we've been talking about has helped me rethink, you know, right and wrong. Is that even the right question to ask? It, you know, is there, I mean, this is getting really philosophical, but no, is I'm there, a, I'll, I'll go there with you. <laughs> I mean, is there a right or wrong? I mean, that could be a very controversial statement, Sure. but you know, I think we make very simplistic categories and put them in a right or wrong box, right? It's very dualistic. And it's, but it's, it's also very comforting because it gives us a, uh, a streamlined answer for everything. And when you start embracing the idea of nuance and paradox and all that stuff that I absolutely love, yeah, you know, those questions of right or wrong, they're almost irrelevant. That's the stuff that scared me when I was young. And, and to your, you know, to what you said earlier, it was one of the things that kept me a little closer to religion is yes. because these big questions I had that were scary with the paradox and the nuance right. and, and, and the gray areas, it, they, it resolved them for me. It resolved them without ha- me having to, to have these introspective, 
uh, thoughts that would keep me awake at night. Mm -hmm. um, now I embrace it. I love it because it's my truth. It's what I see when I look up. You know, I, I don't know. And, mm -hmm. and that used to scare me. And now I enjoy it because there's the idea of I can keep learning. I can, yes. maybe what, maybe I can find it. I don't know. Right. Um, but yeah, so as to, to your, to what you were saying about right or wrong, I agree. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know what, I mean, I think there's some universal truths, like don't hurt other people. Sure. And that goes to, that's kind of my philosophy in life. Do I think people should do whatever it is that they want to do as long as they're not harming anyone else. Mm -hmm. You know, it is, you get one life. That's it. Like yeah. it's yours. It's the only thing that really is yours. And, and you should be able to really use it as you see fit in any way that makes you happy, that speaks to your truth that, you know, but the big caveat is doesn't hurt other people. Doesn't hurt other people. Yeah. yeah. So I, that's kind I, of where I right totally or wrong agree. is for me, I guess. Yeah. And you know, you know, you were talking about religion and for me, when I was in seminary, everything had an answer, everything, um, which was very comforting. But I think that was the real tragedy of of that religion. Um, it, it certainly didn't encourage me to think past it. No, it didn't. You didn't have to yeah. because you had an answer. At least, at least I did, and I loved that about seminary. I loved. Uh, I I loved systematic theology. You go looking because for answers everything and you, has an answer. And you find them. Yes. You know, because now the way, I mean, we've talked at length uh, before, and the way both of us seem to view the world is we're looking for answers, and we're not getting many at all. But we, you know, now we've embraced that, and we like it. Yeah. 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 Right on, man. All right, I'm going to let you go in just a minute. Um, but before I do... Let me uh, let me ask you a couple of questions. I always like to find out answers, especially after com after a conversation like this. Yeah. Uh, do you have a book or any you know like a couple of different books that you would recommend someone you know if this conversation resonated with a person mm -hmm. and they were interested in you know in any of like kind of these angles that we're going at um, finding you know your truth things like that maybe leaving your practice. Yeah. Are there any books that resonated with you that you read? Or or podcasts that you listen to, anything. right? Well, there are a couple of folks that I, over the last probably three years, really helped me get to the place I am right now. I think Wayne Dyer is one of them, right? Uh, Deepak Chopra. I mean, you got to love him. Sure. He's sort of in that same ilk. Uh, I actually love this woman named Byron Katie, and I've read pretty much all of her books. And one of them in particular, I think, is called "A Thousand Names for Joy." Uh, I, like, I like the name. She she probably is the one that really got me thinking the most about some of the issues that we've discussed today. Um, I think she's just a wonderful person, and her book her book really made me think a lot about these kinds of issues. Now, I will say, I think that particular book to some people might be really kind of esoteric and out there, but I, I like that about it. Um, it really made me think it had sort of, it has sort of an Eastern, um, quality to it. You know, I've been so stuck in Western, you know, the Protestantism is, is thoroughly Western. Sure. And, uh, so it helped me to kind of reorient my thinking and, you know, yeah. it sounds more Buddha quality. And I like stuff like that because it allows me to integrate a different worldview into my own. And make it, 
more of a global worldview. I like to understand where other people are coming from mm-hmm. because one of my greatest goals is to be able to connect on a meaningful level with as many people as possible and hopefully effectuate positive change in their life. Yeah. And the more people I can understand and, and really, because it's hard to have meaningful relationships with people that you don't understand very well. Yeah. And so the more I understand about the world, the more I feel like I can have meaningful relationships with people from everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I like that as well. I like under, even if I don't necessarily agree with things, I like to understand it. I like to understand where people are coming from, what their unique world experience was like that makes them see the world the way they do. Right. Uh, and, and I would say that, you know, talking about the kind of work I do now, I try to use those themes in my work. Uh, that's why I don't like litigation because it's inherently, um, well, it's litigious. Yeah. That's what litigation is. You, yeah. you fight. And I am not a fighter. And I tell people, I tell my clients that I want to get you to worry. I want to get you to the end goal, uh, in as, uh, peaceful and sane a way as we can. Yeah. Because that makes me sane. And I'm I want to be selfish in that respect. I don't want to I'm tired of being insane. Yeah. And this way of of working at least for now is the way that keeps me um a little bit saner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, speaking of being a fighter, that's uh it it was that was one of the reasons I went to law school. I wanted to fight. But my I mean my real truth is I'm not a fighter either. Yeah. I just always idolized it. I thought that I come from a, a long line of fighters. They, they're good at it. Yeah. They, they're, you know, they're, they're strong, aggressive people. They're, they're great people. They're nice people. They fight for truth. They fight for what's right, but, but they fight. And, and so I came from those people. And so I was, I, I grew up learning to fight, but I'm not a fighter. I never have been. And I don't like the way it makes me feel mm-hmm. to fight, you know, and it, when, and, and it took me a while to come to that. And I was like, well, if I just keep trying and trying and trying, I'll get it. I'll finally figure it out. I felt like I'm not good at it. I'll learn it. And it feels good. It feels yeah. good to come to that realization that I don't have to be. Yeah. And I think maybe in a way you and I are, are fighters, but in a different way. We're, we're willing to fight for our own um, for our own enjoyment, our own peace, right. our own authenticity. Yeah, I want to fight to create good in the world. Yes, exactly. Um, it's I, a different kind. Yeah, I don't want to fight against other people. Right. Yeah. All right. So where uh, where can we find you online? Where are you hanging about that we could contact you? <laughs> hanging about. Well, my website for my law practice is davidherringlaw.com. Okay. And uh, I have a Facebook page too, but honestly, I don't do much on that. And I need to start beefing that up. You don't hang about much there? I don't there. hang about much there. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Anyone can reach me through that website. And uh, if, if you have any needs in that regard, I'm primarily a divorce lawyer, but I like to help people. I li- Here's what I tell people. I like to help them. Uh, reach an amicable resolution to their divorce. I mean, right. I, I ultimately want people to be reconciled to their spouse. Nice. That doesn't necessarily mean they're together. It doesn't mean they're s- sleeping in the same household anymore. It can totally mean they're divorced. But I think you can do that in a way that is, um, that's healthy, and that that's that's ultimately my goal. I like that. That's good. And then I, I want to tell you before I let you go that I, I read your blog post on Louis C.K.'s approach to divorce and I loved it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, and I've, you know, I'm a big Louis C.K. fan. I've listened to everything. So I know I've heard that part of his stand up right. and I was like, that is an amazing way 
to approach a blog post. So that was yeah. really good. Well, I appreciate that. All right, David, that this was a fantastic conversation. Man. It I was. I appreciate you having me. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I look forward to uh, having you back again one oh, day. Oh, I'm coming back. Absolutely. I can't <laughs> wait to hear how the story develops. All right, good. All right, thanks, buddy. Sure. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. It's obvious from the episode, but David is genuinely one of my favorite people to sit and talk to. I feel like we barely scratched the surface today, so I already look forward to having him back in front of the mic again soon. Now, before I let you go, if you liked what you heard today, I would be thrilled if you hopped on over to the iTunes Store, Overcast, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, wherever it is that you happen to be listening. And do me a favor, hit that subscribe button and leave us an honest review of the show. That is how we keep spreading the word and bringing you killer content every week. And one more quick reminder about the comprehensive podcasting course at Advent Coworking starting in January, from idea to iTunes. And you're going to get all that delicious podcasting goodness served up in person by yours truly. Now, whether you already have an idea or you need some help nailing one down, in just four short weeks, I'm going to help you take that idea and launch it on iTunes. So if you're ready to press play on your own podcast, head on over to yourpod.pro to sign up for details. That's yourpod.pro. All right, listeners, I know your time is your most valuable asset, so thank you once again for spending just a little bit of that time with me today. Now, until next week, get out there and get after it. You've been listening to the Future Self Podcast. Thanks for listening. Now, get out there and give your future self something to cheer about.